Hello, hello! You are not at a place called Vertigo. Where you are is the U2 Gigs podcast. Uh, I'm Matkin, and with me is Axver. G'day! Of course, uh, better known to most of you, I think, is Axe. And yes, this is our second podcast following hot on the heels of our first one some four years ago. Yeah, the uh, 360 Review podcast. So... We thought we'd do the same thing again now that there's a lengthy break after the second leg of Innocence Experience. So, um, we're the two people here with you today. Of course, we're not the only people on the team. Um, I'm Matkin, as I said, but um, our webmaster and leader, exalted leader, is Matt from Germany. Matkin and Matt are two different people, although our <laughs> names are the uh, very similar. And... Um, also on the team, we have um, Stefan. I think he's also from Germany, and he went to a lot of concerts with Matt and helped r- us record a lot of videos and take a lot of photographs. And then there's also Chris in New York, who did a lot of work on the first leg, especially. Mm. And I think we should also not forget uh, Frank, also from Germany, who took some videos with Stefan on the first leg. And um, my friends Ashley and Travis from Los Angeles, who filled in for me at the last minute for a couple of first leg shows when I wasn't able um, to do coverage. So, you know, uh, the core team. Um, I suppose, uh, at, you know, at present is myself, Matkin, and Matt, but you know, Stefan, Frank, Chris, Ashley, and Travis have all provide, you know, provided, you know, absolutely valuable contributions throughout the tour um, to varying degrees, and, you know, we wouldn't have been able to bring the coverage uh, that we have without them. And what a lot of coverage it's been. Um, oh, my God. Especially second leg with Matt being able to go to so many shows with uh, Stefan. Oh, the videos were just absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, I, I I am constantly impressed by the quality of their videos because I promise you if I was doing the videos, it would be shaky as all hell and you would have me singing over the top of them. Well, you are the only person in history who has been known to headbang to the unforgettable fire. That's right, that was a good time back in 2009. Okay, well, introduction's over, so I guess we should get on to discussion of the first two legs. Um, New songs, the ones that didn't make it very far. Troubles, California, and Volcano. Um, Mm. California, I guess, is probably the saddest one of the lot. It was snippeted in the streets at the end of every show if you play U2's game. Um, but with only three full performances on the tour, uh, by my count, that makes it the fewest debut for um, a main album song um, that's ever been done. It's tied with Peace on Earth, um, which on the Elevation Tour was mostly snippeted in the third leg, but some performances are were long enough that we've counted them as a full song. So Cruel, which was um, done as a abbreviated acoustic version by Bono back on Zoo TV, and Zuropa, which um, was basically an attempted full band performance on Zoo TV, but uh, it was really only the last third of the song, and um, all three of those were in abbreviated form, essentially, so California, being virtue of 
being a full song, I guess you could say, is probably the worst debut ever for um, an album song. It's especially surprising, given the extent to which the band rehearsed it in Vancouver before the tour began, and the fact that its original appearance in the set list was in a prominent role um, at that um, second Vancouver show where it replaced um, Out of Control, essentially, where they slightly tweaked the start of the set, Mm -hmm. and... You know, it clearly indicated that the band wanted to include it in some significant capacity, that they were considering it for early in the show. I think at some of the rehearsals, it was showing up as early in the second set um, alongside the likes of Even Better Than The Real Thing and Desire. And yet... It just completely vanishes. It staggers to three performances. Um, I suppose there was a fourth if we count the Roxy show, but obviously uh, that was not a full tour performance. That's not counted in the tour section of the website. That's in the uh, various dates section. Um, I, I can't believe that at seven shows in California, they only played it once. That's a bit of a rip-off. That was... I I don't even have the words for it. I mean, prior to the show, I was going around telling you, telling basically everybody that I was sure it would make the a better opening song than Joey Ramone. Like the mm. way I was picturing it before the sh- before any concert started, it was the um like you'd have the intro music playing, which turned out to be people have the power. The lights would dim, and then I guess in a similar vein to the um, everyone, everyone refrain at the beginning of the City of Blinding Lights on the Vertigo tour, you'd hear the ba-ba-ba-ba Santa Barbara just playing over the stereo, and then they'd just rip into the first verse of the band and going, California! I thought it would make they a great They should have totally opening. done that, you know, in California. But I would say we dodged a bullet because I actually really hate that intro. <laughs> which has, I think, been a somewhat controversial opinion. Uh, certainly when I first aired it, uh, not long after the album came out, I, th- I think I described it as the worst intro to a U2 song since Red Light. And uh, that didn't go down well. <laughs> well, I th- honestly, I think that the, the band would probably agree with you on that. I mean, six full performances of the song three of which were on the tour, and not a single time it included that ba-ba-ba-ba, not even the pre-recorded part. Mm. So I guess I think there was probably you know, a, a studio creation that might be hard to pull off effectively live. I mean, look, look at how many other songs have had their intros tweaked um, to suit live performances better. Mm. Uh, but no, to, to be honest, in terms of the opener... Um, yeah, California could have filled that role, or at least the opening role for the encore, fairly effectively. I think it might have been a bit strange if it had been done worldwide, but certainly at the start of the first leg, when they were playing around with the set list, with ideas, um, it would have... You know, it wouldn't have been particularly surprising if they had tried it. Yeah, even just opening the encore, because they clearly weren't 100% committed to either of the encore openers that they tried, at least at the get-go. 
Well, there were three that they tried initially, weren't there? There was um, Miracle, uh, City of Blinding Lights originally, then they had um, yep. Miracle Drug at two shows, which led to City's only two absences from the set ever. And mm. then I think they started, when they moved City of Blinding Lights to the um, main set for a few shows later on in the first leg. It That's was correct. a beautiful day, I think, that opened the encore, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, beautiful day um, was the encore opener for what was it? A bunch of shows in July. Uh, I always actually forget that this happened. I, I I made a bit of a blunder on our Twitter coverage. I think of the very last show. I think because I've tried to expunge from my memory uh, how clumsy the transition in the main set from City of Blinding Lights to Bullet the Blue Sky was. <laughs> well. I'd say it wasn't just that, it was the Stephen Hawking intro as well, which they really should have kept as the encore. Instead, they played it in the main set. Yeah, that was just bizarre. Because what was it? That was coming straight after With or Without You, mm-hmm. with, you know, no relevance really to either of the songs. Like, the Stephen Hawking intro was not inextricably tied to City of Blinding Lights. Uh, It was very clearly an encore opening that worked with any vaguely uplifting, you know, communal sing-along track that followed. Uh, So why they decided to keep it with City of Blinding Lights, I don't know, especially because, if I remember correctly, the very first time they did City of Blinding Lights... In the main set, they didn't use the Hawking intro. Of course, here I've had to be very careful because when I'm doing the coverage and what have you, um, most of these songs I just refer to in my head by their abbreviation. So trying to remember to call it City of Blinding Lights rather than Cobble is um, somewhat of an effort, but I think that might confuse people if I just started going on about, yeah, well, I was followed by the Hawking intro that led into Cobble, uh, and I really do wish that I played I.Y. instead of Wow-I. <laughs> oh, I always pronounce it Wow-We. <laughs> Wow-We, it's Wow-We. I think Wow-y. that's how a lot of people do. Sorry? Well, how do you pronounce I still haven't found what I'm looking for then? It'd be something like Ishfa. Uh, Ishif Wilf. <laughs> Usually okay. I refer to that in my head as still haven't found. I want to backtrack slightly because I just know that some people will be thinking and saying, oh my god, you two gigs said that Joey was a terrible opener here. <laughs> uh, they should drop it. They should drop City of Blinding Lights. No, 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 no. I'm just saying that initially before the tour began i thought it would have made a perfect opener more so than joey ramone but um i think that joey ramone certainly did a fantastic job later on um okay so other new songs the troubles i want to talk about that a bit later on but five performances axver is very disappointed sorry sorry i missed that oh sorry uh the troubles um, I yes. want to talk about that one a little bit later on, um, when we talk about difficulty of playing some songs live. But with only five performances, I think you're definitely a bit disappointed. To put it mildly, I, I thought that song had a lot of live potential. And obviously the band uh, wanted to give it a reasonably prominent role if we judge by the rehearsals, much like California seemed to be, you know, under consideration for a permanent or at least rotational um, 
position because you see in the rehearsals the troubles showing up you know then it shows up when you know when they actually play a proper show in Vancouver and then it just disappears and I think well there were a number of shows where it was on the set list and got skipped um uh, what was it San Jose 2 um they decided to do bad instead uh which I think on balance works out so you know I think bad is their definitive live song actually ahead of straights um you know, in, in terms of defining what makes you two such a good live band, uh, I think bad trumps everything except possibly for One Tree Hill. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it, it was a shame to see the Troubles get shafted so much. The first couple of performances were a bit awkward. I don't think they quite got it right. But by the last performance of it in New York, it seemed like it could be a really powerful track that you know you could get edge playing a really powerful emotive solo um that could become a sort of show highlight and use it to lead into with without you i thought that would have been really quite effective so it's a shame that it never quite worked out um the band obviously put a lot of effort into it and i figured this is the end of the troubles because it didn't make it to europe um you know if it was going to be played anywhere it was going to be in stockholm yeah. uh whether um whether or not there was the guest appearance that everybody had hoped for um, and it didn't appear so i i am willing to say right now that the troubles is dead it, you know maybe it'll be played live in you know 15 years at a you know a stockholm show as some kind of you know big surprise but it, for all intents and purposes, that song is done. Well, if they can bring back uh, Scarlet, then who knows what will happen. <laughs> this is true. But, um, Troubles, yeah, I've, that first show that they skipped, which I think the first time they missed it was actually in Vancouver. Mm. Uh, I could be wrong on that. It might have been San Diego or San Jose, or whichever one it was. Um, San Jose. San Jose. But, um, like, that first time they skipped it, I just had a kind of a gut feeling in my stomach that that future for the song wasn't going to be very bright. I mean, second or third concert of the tour and they're already skipping one of the new songs. Like, if they have to miss a song, that's the one they pick. It seemed... Um, I didn't really see much in the way of um, Trouble's future at that time, whatever the reason for skipping it was, so... I remember um, you trying to see when I was going to call the song as dead. Yes, that became a bit of a competition. Um, <laughs> you were adamant that Miracle Drug had been dropped, even though Miracle Drug had the two appearances and the Troubles was only at one. Mm. And uh, you were still like, no, no, Troubles will be back, Troubles will be back, which you were right about, but <laughs> only four more yeah, times. Yeah, I mean, I, I figured that Troubles uh, was a song that... Judging by how much effort they put in, they wouldn't completely give up on it, um, and that it was a track that would appear at, in cities where they were doing lengthy stands, which is, in fact, what ended up happening. Whereas Miracle Drug, um, you know, kind of struggled there as the alternative to City of Blinding Lights as an encore opener. And when it missed... Um, either show in San Jose, I thought that was a little surprising. Then, you know, it came back in Phoenix, and 
But then it completely missed Los Angeles. I remember the fifth LA show, I was sitting there going, right, this is for certain, it is going to be Miracle Drug. I'd been very surprised that it had not opened any of the four previous encores. You know, you had this established rotation, why wouldn't you be using it? And then the opening notes of City of Blinding Lights came in, and I was like, nah, it's dead. If it can't make it to any of the five uh, shows in L.A., despite having a clearly defined rotational role, it's cooked. And it was. I think there was one report of it being sound-checked in Europe, I think in Amsterdam, Mm -hmm. but that clearly, if it was accurate, it nonetheless came to nothing. My feeling on Miracle Drug was um, I welcomed it back in the set. I don't think it was in the right place in the set. I think I know what they were going for with that song because they were trying to tie it in with the uh, HIV drug talk that would go into mother and child reunion. I feel that they got it kind of backwards there. Um, instead of opening the encore with Miracle Drug and then doing the talk, I mean that the best option would have been to open the encore with City of Blinding Lights, then do Beautiful Day or Mother and Child Reunion, and do Miracle Drug after Mother and Child Reunion, because that ties in the theme of the song, which is a miracle drug with the HIV-AIDS talk. You've got the two together. Mm. And then you could go into Beautiful Day next, if you didn't do that one after City, and then the rotational closer. And... I thought that would have been the best place for the song because, let's face it, an encore opener is, after a brief gap, It's you basically need the same kind of start to it as you do for the concert opener. And Miracle Drug is not an encore opener song. It's not a concert opener song. Whereas a song like City of Blinding Lights, Beautiful Day, uh, The Fly, those are the songs that get you pumped up and ready for it. Those are the songs that you'd have for either a concert opener or an encore opener. And Miracle Drug, it was just the wrong choice for that location, and I maintain it would have been a perfect place after Mother and Child Reunion in the second encore slot. I think you're completely right there. It would have, yeah, it would have made perfect thematic sense, and I don't really understand why they thought Miracle Drug would make a good encore opener. And... You know, its disappearance after only two performances clearly indicates, you know, that it was not fulfilling that role properly. It's got just too soft a start, uh, and that might not be in, inherently fatal, though I think it's something difficult to surmount. You, you want to start an encore either with something immediately attention-grabbing, like, as you said, the fly, or something that has... You know, an intro that builds and builds, like City of Blinding Lights, uh, Where the Streets Have No Name, things like that. And when you've got this really soft beginning, if you're going to do it, it has to be a song that everybody knows. And most people don't know Miracle Drug. It's a non-single from a late career album. Now, sure, yes, How Did This Mantle and Atomic Bomb sold very well. But outside of hardcore fans, how many people are listening to that regularly versus the best of Joshua Tree, Act of Baby? If you're going to do a song that people are unlikely to know, 
it needs to be attention grabbing in some capacity, like the electric co. Sure, most people in the audience probably don't even own Boy, but the electric co sets the place on fire consistently every single night it's played. Miracle Drug needs to be in the right part of the set list, a really cohesive, logical spot, if it's going to get the casual fans to engage with it. And that spot, sure as hell, is not the encore opener. Yeah, and we know it works well after City of Landing Lights, because that's the way they did it in the European shows on Vertigo. Mm. It, it can do the job, so I think that was a missed opportunity. Uh, speaking of missed opportunities, you have a very long list of songs that were rehearsed in Vancouver, some of which we don't know of, or weren't widely discussed, I should say. Probably the two best known that didn't make it were One Step Closer and Playboy Mansion. Uh, One Step Closer, <coughs> although not played, there is an audio clip around which shows it as a transition outside of Bullet the Blue Sky, I think, or possibly into yes, it. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, it was Bullet going into One Step Closer. So much like uh, Drowning Man in 360, even though they didn't actually play it on tour, at least we have kind of a pseudo-live version of it out there. Weren't that fortunate with Playboy Mansion, but um, you've got the list act, so why don't you take us through it? Yes, well, there have been some quite surprising um, songs that didn't make it. Uh, insofar as, well, I think from both perspectives, surprising in the sense of it got rehearsed, it's a popular song, why didn't it make it? Um, that would include songs such as Running to Stand Still, which was also rehearsed after Bullet, um, or The Fly, uh, though that was actually rehearsed in an acoustic capacity in Vancouver. Uh, and then there are the songs that are surprising in the sense of what exactly prompted them to dig it up? Because they're obscure songs, not even necessarily fan favourites. You know, One Step Closer and Playboy Mansion are not songs that fans have been clamouring to hear for years on end. That you know, Drowning Man is, to an extent, you know, a fan favourite. You know, it's not up there with a lot of classics, but when people talk about a song from war that they haven't heard live that I'd like to hear, often they do go very quickly to Drowning Man, and I think there was widespread disappointment when it did not make it out of soundcheck and onto the 360 tour. Yeah, but, Drowning Man does get a lot of talk, unlike something like, say, Like a Song, which was only done once on the war tour. Mm, well, I think that actually should get a lot of talk, because, you know, that that was, um, Like a Song, I think, is one of the best tracks on war, and I wish that it had got, you know, a much better run live. Um, but, you know, I also think Drowning Man should have got a run, and I and certainly today them playing like a song would just be bizarre whereas Drowning Man would make perfect sense. It would have actually been beautiful on the E stage this mm. time around. Okay, so what else did they have, Axe? Okay, well, the some of the other songs um, that they rehearsed, there was Trying to Throw Your Arms Around the World which uh, was also rehearsed before the 2010 European leg of um, 360. So, Matkin, do you think trying to throw your arms would have worked had they decided to play it? It really depends on the way that they wanted to play it. We do know the arrangement that they wanted to do for the 360 tour because of the baby trying to throw your arms around the world. 
no matter which way you listen to that song, it's clearly not an early version of the acting baby recording. It's one of two possibilities. It's either a recording from a tour rehearsal or it was an outtake from the uh, from the ground up uh, documentary that they did where they had the acoustic The Fly by Bono, the acoustic So Cruel, the acoustic Love is Blindness. Uh, so we know what way they are kind of going for with trying to throw your arms around the world for 360. Would it have worked on this tour? That depends. I think it's a song that a lot of people want to hear. A lot of people are were very disappointed that it didn't make the Zoo TV remaster, even on the um, U2 fan club audio version CD, where they instead chose a version from, I think it was New York, which was a bonus track on the Zoo TV remaster. So I think it's a song that a lot of people want to hear. I think it could have worked. It depends on the context that they have it in. There would have been no room for it on the first set. Um, I think the first set was very firmly established from the third song downwards. Uh, they had ex the exact set that they wanted, and there really wasn't much in the way that they could have changed it. Although, uh, we'll, we'll talk about what could have been changed in there a bit later on. And um, so where would it have fit in the second set is the question. Would it have worked as an E-stage song? Would it have worked as um, a late second set song? It's kind of hard to see where it would have fit in. They may have wanted it as the rotational, the second rotational on the E stage, I think. Mm, I just don't think there was a place for it. I cannot see where it would fit comfortably, not even as that second E stage rotation. Um, I think the reason why it never made it out of the rehearsals is that fact, that they clearly are interested in playing it. The fact that it's been rehearsed two tours in a row um, makes that fairly clear. And as much as I personally don't care to hear the song live, obviously a lot of people do. I think it would go down well, especially if it was done, you know, at one of those shows in a city that's got, you know, a multi-night stand, a late, a later show where most of the people there are, you know, serious fans to some degree and will, you know, have an attachment to the song, I think it would go down well. But I think it just didn't fit. The one song that I do think would have fit very well in the E stage, and those of you who remember um, our Twitter coverage from May, uh, if you do, well done. Um, but if <laughs> anyone does remember that, um, there was one song that was rehearsed in Vancouver that I was absolutely adamant was going to appear, and I predicted it before multiple shows, The Ground Beneath Her Feet. They rehearsed an acoustic version of it. The Edge even mentioned it in an interview just before the start of tour. I thought it was a certainty to rotate with Sweetest Thing in a manner not dissimilar to how it did on the Elevation Tour. Uh, and I am very surprised that that did not make it. It was only after the five LA shows that I thought its chances were disappearing. But it really wasn't, honestly, until the end of the first leg that I figured they'd just completely moved on from it and had probably just forgotten about it. It, it, it would have been a wonderful song to do live. I'd love it full band, uh, you know, acoustic is, you know, the kind of half-hearted version of it, but it's a great song, so I'll take a half-hearted version of that over over many other tracks that they could or did play. 
I admit, I'm a fan of the song. I didn't particularly like any of the acoustic versions that they've done of it before. And every every time they've ever played the Ground Beneath Her Feet, it has been an acoustic version. I feel it loses a lot of, especially in the final part of the song, a lot of the emotion in it, where Edge's yes. guitar is almost shrieking in perfect harmony with Bono's um, My Oh My, Why Oh Why. And... Um, I did tweet a few weeks ago, like a full band, The Ground Beneath Her Feet would be absolutely fantastic. I think it would work. Um, mm. It would be interesting to see how it worked. Um, I think I mentioned Stateless in the same sentence because I was listening to both of them quite a bit. But yeah, it's a shame that it didn't actually appear. Like, I'd take an acoustic version if that was the only way to get it, but still, um, full band would have to be the way to go for that song for me, I think. Oh, I would, I would adore a full band version. A full band ground beneath her feet would be a dream come true, and I think it could be very effective if done right and if done in the right part of the set list. You know, not not falling victim to what we might call the the miracle drug curse. Well, there were a few times uh, during the tour where a stat that we mentioned um, on one night would be discussed the next night by Bono on stage. So. They seem to pay attention to at least some of our coverage. Who knows? Maybe they're listening to this. Bono. Yeah. Hi, band, guys. How about a sort of homecoming? We've got a... We've got a... You can do a full band ground beneath our feet. Come on, man. It would be Come fantastic. <laughs> it would be great. Uh, and, and yes, a sort of homecoming and One Tree Hill are, I think, the two songs they absolutely have to include. And it's a shame those weren't rehearsed. But some other songs that they rehearsed um, that didn't make it, I did briefly mention Running to Stand Still. Mm-hmm. I think performing that would be a no-brainer. Bullet into Running is a classic transition. Obviously, it never happened because other transitions were decided upon. And that leads me to another song that was rehearsed in full that was never done in full, and that's The Hands That Built America. Obviously, it was a fixture of the first leg as a snippet linking Bullet and Pride, um, which I notably did not like and made my um, dislike well-known during the coverage. I did try and keep a lid on it after a while. Um, (laughs) But they did rehearse a full band version of it. I think a full band version of it would have been good, even if if it was kind of um, an abbreviated Sieg, if they did more than just the America... (laughs) Even if they did more than just that portion of it, um, mm. I th- think it, it's clear that they went with that instead of one step closer or running to stand still. Um, the first leg had a theme of gun violence for that segment, whereas the second leg had it as the refugee crisis. Running to stand still would have worked on both legs, I think, but we know it works definitely with the first leg theme because it's always i think being played after bullet with maybe three exceptions on the elevation tour possibly like we know uh, it works with yes that i think balance. i think running to stand still has always been after bullet it has always been after bullet yes yes because it was always after bullet on joshua tree love town zoo tv then what there was that lengthy snippet of it um, on Elevation that wasn't attached to Bullet, but it wasn't a full performance. Okay, and so we it, thought that was a snippet. That's where I was confused then. Yeah, and then it was always after Bullet on Vertigo. Okay. 
Yeah, okay. I, it was the elevation lengthy snippet then. I remember there's a great, I think, seven-minute version where it's uh, they're doing Desire and they intro it with Hawkmoon 269, Bono reading it from a, a fan holding up the lyrics on the tip of the heart, and then they'd go into a bit of running to stand still afterwards. Yeah, that's an amazing performance. That's the one where I got confused. I thought that that might have been considered a full performance. I hadn't looked at the database for that one for quite some time. So It would be nice if we could list that as a medley, but um, unfortunately that's not possible. We might talk about some of those things later. Um, but yes, back, back to the songs that weren't played, um, just very briefly. I think um, the other ones that are worth discussing before we move on um, are the ones from No Line on the Horizon, because this is one of the really striking things about this tour, is that there was literally one performance, one, of a song from the immediately preceding album. And this is exceptional, because the only other album that has not been represented on the tour immediately following is Zuropa, which, uh, which was not represented live on Potmart. But, of course, on Potmart, they used a taped version of Lemon to introduce um, the encore as a, as a lead-in to Disco Take when the band in the gigantic Lemon came out to the B stage. So even though no songs from Zeropa actually performed live on Potmart, it still was represented in some capacity every night. Whereas on this tour, there was nothing from No Line on the Horizon except for a solitary performance of Magnificent on the European leg. I'm genuinely surprised that was only done once because they worked out a whole new arrangement for it. But in Vancouver, they rehearsed the title track, No Line on the Horizon. They rehearsed Moment of Surrender, and they also rehearsed Magnificent then, uh, and none of them made it onto the first leg, even though Moment of Surrender uh, became a quite lengthy snippet. Um, yeah, it just never made it to full performance, even though um, some of those snippets, uh, what was it, over the end of Beautiful Day leading into Bad, could be quite long. Bono sang multiple verses. Yeah, it's Moment of Surrender is a song that I can't see as anywhere but the closer. I think it's, um, sorry, closer. I think it suffers from what I tentatively call love is blindness syndrome. And <laughs> I think it's too powerful and too emotive to really appear anywhere else. I think it would really hinder anything that they've tried to have follow it. We saw a few occasions on the 360 tour where they did follow it with um, Out of Control. And that worked to a degree. Not always. I've, it's a song that, if it was played again, if it's not the closer, I can only see it working as an acoustic song. Because and that was, in fact, how it was rehearsed, as an acoustic version. Yeah, it, it would just be too heavy, I think, to appear in the main setter early in the encore. I think uh, it could work, um, but it would be difficult to get right. I, yeah. think, I think if it was used as a segue into Streets... That would work. That could that that could potentially work. It's like typically a song that they have as a closer. They don't repeat next tour or really or again. Not much. They 
like unless they use it as a closer again the obvious one there being 40 which they almost always close a concert with mm, um, it's only not closed two shows there are two shows where it's been played and it hasn't been the closer um and in both cases it was meant to be the closer yeah and there is wake up dead man which was done a few times on the elevation tour but a wedge only then really the biggest example or the best example i should say is um walk on which mm. made it acoustically early set and a few vertigo tour shows and when it showed and up again full band at some australian shows mm-hmm. and when it was done full it band didn't work. Co- i was there it did not work <laughs> and when it was done full band on the 360 tour it was as the end of the main set so it did work there yes but apart from that really they don't tend to do closers after they've closed one tour mm. if they if they've had a very clearly defined closing role that has lasted for a full tour the song does struggle to reappear in any capacity other than closer in future and that closing role is often hotly contested. And possibly the one true exception to that is one, which you could argue, arguably say was the real closer of the Pop Mart shows, seeing as though the song that followed was always uh, just Bono and Edge playing an abbreviated version, whether it was Staring at the Sun on one occasion or Wake Up Dead Man on, I think, 20 occasions. or uh, Hallelujah. Yeah, Mothers of the Disappeared in South America. It's one is really the only show that makes it, that made it into the set still, for understandable reasons. I mean, it's one. Well, of course, this is one of the very interesting things about the Innocence and Experience tour, isn't it? That one finally was not played at every show. It was jaw dropping, I think. Because the very first Vancouver show is the very first time they've never played it. And let's be clear, we're not talking about like promotional appearances or uh, you could say short gigs like, say, the Roxy show. We're talking about full band, full tour concerts. Yep. This was the it first is, time it was never played. It was played at every Zoo TV show, Pop Mart, Elevation, Vertigo, 360, and it was just unimaginable that it would be dropped. Uh, you know, the I don't think anyone before the tour seriously thought that it would become a rotational track. I have been saying for years that it should. That might be partly um, born from the fact that I'm not a big fan of the song, uh, but I do think it could go into rotation effectively, and I think it did. The one problem with that was that while the rotation of one and still haven't found was a very good idea, it was in the wrong place. It should not have been the closer. Where would you have put it? Well, I would have played anything afterwards. I don't think either of those songs are effective closing songs. One can work, as Potmart indicates. Um, I, I, and I still haven't found has closed main sets before. Just look at Zoo TV. But both of them felt underwhelming as closes this time around. And I think there are a lot of fans who 
remarked upon that um, throughout the course of the tour on Twitter to us, on interference, on other fan forums. Um, there was a feeling that when you two finished the show with Bad and 40, that that was how the show should end, that that was a perfect closer, whereas one and still haven't found were a notable step down. At the beginning of the tour, I was quite happy that Bad was making so many appearances. I heard it for the first time at uh, Toronto One, which surprised me because I was expecting it the night after. I I think that it it did work probably best as the closer from the, as it did in the second leg when it appeared. Mm. It's the first time Bad has been really, I guess you could say, a semi-regular since the Elevation Tour. And so it was nice to finally see it come back. I mean, it did bounce around in various capacities on Vertigo. There was a point on the third leg of Vertigo where it was showing up about every second song as well. But that run where it got more and more frequent as the European League went on, and as I noted um, in my write-ups, it was played five times in a row um, at the five last shows of the tour, and that had not happened since 2001. I guess by virtue of those five um, performances, Bad officially crossed the 500 performance mark. Yes, Um, that was good to see. A few weeks beforehand, we'd been... I guess, betting each other almost whether it would reach 500 or not. And I think... I was the Senate. Yeah, I, I think I thought it would reach 500 at the last Dublin show. But they ended up playing it four times more than that, so I was quite happy. Mm, well, we both were. <laughs> I think, what was it? I was saying it was going to fall about three or four performances short. Yes. Um, but, um, of course, the other thing that we need to note here is that this is 500 known performances. Uh, there are a few set lists from The Unforgettable Fire missing. Not many. I think um, so few now that we can count them on one hand or maybe you need your thumb from the other hand. Um, but there are still those shows missing. And I would be genuinely surprised um, if Bad had missed at least some of them. There's a couple of set lists missing um, from the Australian and New Zealand League where it probably was not played. Um, but I think there are also a couple um, from the later legs where it would have been played. That is, in fact, the last tour for which we have missing set lists for full tour shows. Um, there are a few more that are still missing for the war tour and quite a number for the October tour, for the boy tour, and the majority of the early shows preceding that, um, including the U23 and 11 o'clock TikTok tours. Um, So if anyone out there, if you know any setless details that we do not have in our database, be it one of those missing sets, be it a set for a various date, be it an incomplete set that you know some extra information for, or even if it's just a snippet that we have missed, please get in touch with us, um, contact us on Twitter, or we have the contact form on the website. Any extra details are welcomed enthusiastically. I love nothing more than uncovering information we didn't have, especially when it's one of those rare sets. Like when when I um, found a few years ago somebody selling um, an October um, to us 
handwritten set list um, for a show that we didn't have a set for. That was just absolutely thrilling. I was really stoked about that. There's always more information that we can have, and even the shows where we have a listing um, and that has no set list information other than the fact that it actually happened, especially with the early days tour and the pre-boy tour, which I guess would be the 11 o'clock TikTok tour, there yeah. was probably uh, dates and concerts that happened that we don't even know exist, that we don't even have a listing for. So. Mm. If anyone knows those shows, God, we would love to know about those. I mean, I am 100% certain that we are missing the majority of shows that the band played in their first two to three years. I think from 1979 onwards, we now have the majority. We're probably still missing some through to about 1981. Um, from... From that point, I think we do have every full tour show. I would be very happy to be corrected if anyone knows of any that are missing. Um, but then there are also random various dates, even up to very recently, that sometimes we don't find out about until quite a way down the track. Um, you know, kind of secret performances, shall we say, or where like one of the band members uh, is just you know, out for a night on the town and gets up and plays a song in a restaurant. It's happened. Uh, we've recorded a few in our databases, uh, in our database, but there are um, some that you don't find out about until quite a way down the track. So it's always exciting to be able to add these previously unknown listings. Well, there's a great one of um, Edge going on stage at um, a rapper's concert, concert. I forget his name. Um, it's from... Haiti, I think. Uh, oh, is this um, Wycliffe? Yes, Wycliffe John. John. And he did, I guess you could call it With or Without You. Uh, it sounds a lot like it musically. There's no lyrics. They're basically just jamming, but um, like something like that is absolutely fantastic. And, you know, we love hearing about these occasional guest appearances by the band. 